Welcome to a special edition of Beyond the Text. In this unique series, we delve deep into the intellectual history of some of the world's most influential philosophers and political theorists. Join us as we explore the profound insights, groundbreaking ideas, and enduring legacies of these great minds in Beyond the Text, Thinkers. In each episode, we take you on a journey through time and ideas, from the ancient wisdom of Aristotle to the modern brilliance of John Locke, we unearth the foundations of human thought. Discover how their philosophies shape societies and continue to influence our world today. Through meticulous research and engaging storytelling, Beyond the Text Thinkers uncovers the personal lives, controversies and intellectual transformations of these luminaries. Join us on this cerebral adventure where the past meets the present and philosophy takes centre stage. So welcome to Beyond the Text Thinkers. Welcome to the second part of this special edition of Beyond the Text Thinkers. Today, we're going to be taking a closer look at Rousseau's first discourse. I'm your host, Samuel Woodall, and today we dive deep into the 1749 October issue of Mercure de France, where a seemingly simple question sparked one of the most profound debates in the history of ideas. It's a question that continues to resonate today. Has the re-establishment of the sciences and arts served to purify or to corrupt manners and morals? First of all, I shall go through the content of the discourse, and then I shall turn to some intellectual historical debates around the ideas in question. The Illusory Virtues of the Age of Reason Rousseau opens his first discourse with a piercing analysis of the society of his time. The 18th century was often heralded as the Age of Reason, a period characterised by enlightenment and progress. But Rousseau offered a different perspective. He argued that in this age, people projected the appearances of all the virtues without having any. It's a provocative statement that forces us to question the true nature of the society that emerged during this era. It's as if Rousseau is telling us that modern man sought to declare a moral high point in history, claiming to possess an exceptional moral calibre, yet beneath the surface they were consumed by vain and narcissistic obsessions that tainted their authenticity. It's a powerful critique that encourages us to reflect on the dangers of sacrificing individuality on the altar of societal standards. In a world where uniqueness is celebrated, Rousseau's words remain relevant. Uniformity and conformity. What's particularly interesting is how Rousseau links this decline in moral values to the appeal of uniformity and conformity in setting societal standards and mores. He writes that today, when more subtle inquiries and a more refined taste have reduced the art of pleasing to established rules, a vile and deceitful uniformity reigns in our mores, and all minds seem to have been cast in the same mould. Rousseau's despair at modernity's shift toward homogeneity and complacency becomes evident here. The pursuit of established rules and societal norms has led to a loss of individuality and innovation of thought. This conformity stifles the potential for eccentricity and unique perspectives. It's a captivating perspective that challenges us to reevaluate the price of conformity in modern society. 
Rousseau's scepticism doesn't stop at societal uniformity. He also takes issue with the concept of excellence in one's field, especially when that excellence is based on conformity and uniformity. He argues that it is a myth to believe that because the most skillful among them excel in their speciality, they view themselves the wisest of men. In essence, what Rousseau is underscoring is that excellence in one area doesn't automatically confer wisdom or a deep understanding of what is morally right. It's another layer of critique on the fallacy of modernity. Virtue from the heart. Let's move on to Rousseau's perspective on virtue. He criticises the idea that one can improve themselves by studying a method of accepted virtue. He points out that the ancients initially lived virtuously, but then sought to study how to be righteous, which he claims was the point at which all was lost. In a world where self-help books and moral guidelines abound, Rousseau's call for authentic virtue rooted in personal experience and reflection is a thought-provoking departure from conventional wisdom. Rousseau was also deeply critical of the industrial and commercial changes that came with the move to modernity. Rousseau argued that these changes led to alienation and dehumanisation of the individual. Rousseau believed that with the rise of the nouveau riche, there was a loss of consideration for shared humanity and common nature. He famously stated, according to them, a man is worth no more to the state than what he consumes. In other words, the pursuit of wealth had led to a society that only valued individuals based on their material contributions. This perspective might be seen as a precursor to socialist ideas, as some historians have suggested. The philosopher mourned the loss of a shared compassion that he believed existed in a more natural state of humanity. In his other writings, Rousseau argued that people in a contented state of nature had a stronger sense of empathy and community. He saw early capitalism as a corrupting force that eroded this sense of compassion. Rousseau was relentless in his critique of modernity's material obsessions. He pointed out that with money, one has everything but mores and citizens. In other words, he believed that the relentless pursuit of wealth had led to a deterioration in moral values and the erosion of what it means to be a good citizen. This view ties wealth accumulation directly to the moral decay of society. One of Rousseau's most intriguing arguments was his take on applause. He suggested that the desire for applause and social recognition had a corrupting influence, not just on individuals, but also on artists and the trajectory of history itself. Rousseau claimed that every artist seeks applause, and the praises of contemporaries are the most cherished part of their reward. However, he saw this desire for applause as a significant limitation. The obsession with how one appears to others stifles authenticity and genuine artistic expression. According to Rousseau, this pursuit of social validation hinders the progress of art and history. Artists, he argued, limit themselves to what is socially accepted, and this stagnation prevents the development of more interesting and innovative works. 
In a fiery indictment of his own times artists, Rousseau accused them of lowering their intellectual capacities to cater to their selfish desires. He claimed that they will lower their genius to the level of their century and prefer to create popular works that are admired during their lifetime rather than timeless masterpieces that might only be appreciated long after their deaths. This charge encapsulates Rousseau's belief that only those who refuse to conform to societal norms can truly understand art, beauty and what is right. He celebrated those who understood themselves for themselves rather than seeking the approval from others. Right, let's now get into the historiography. To understand the context of this debate, we must first grasp the unique atmosphere of the time. The Genevan philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau was about to unleash his radical critique of Enlightenment thought, but it's important to note that the Mercure de France was, in Michael Palmer's words, prudent in its politics. In other words, the publication was cautious in its approach. Jean-Jacques Rousseau's response to this question became his first discourse, aptly titled On the Sciences and Arts. In this text, Rousseau defied the dominant belief of Enlightened opinion, challenging the very foundations of the Enlightenment. He is often referred to as the inaugurator of the counter-Enlightenment. The paradox lies in the fact that while Rousseau is seen as a figure of counter-Enlightenment thought, he shares a fundamental perspective with some proto-Enlightenment thinkers. His work engages in a critical, informed and stimulating conversation with the past, as Dominic de Capra puts it. Rousseau's critique is aimed at the prevailing societal norms that prioritise social approval in the sciences and arts. He denounces the vile and deceitful uniformity that stifles creativity and the pursuit of genuine virtue. He argues that this obsession with public recognition leads to a false righteousness that masks the true understanding of the self. Asaya Berlin famously periodized Rousseau as a figure of the counter-enlightenment. Berlin's perspective was that Rousseau believed the artificial norms of society had imprisoned and corrupted the natural essence of man. However, Berlin does acknowledge that Rousseau shares some fundamental points with Enlightenment thinkers, the possibility of individuals becoming wise, happy, virtuous and free. One problem with this counter-Enlightenment label is that it simplifies the complex nature of Rousseau's thought. It overlooks his endorsement of thinkers who challenged prevailing dogmas and focuses solely on his opposition to certain aspects of Enlightenment thinking. Another dimension of Rousseau's thought is his anti-scientization stance. He criticises figures like Bacon, Newton and Descartes for pursuing what he calls the vain sciences. Yet he also sees them as individuals who transcended the constraints of their time. Rousseau's affinity for Montaigne's perspective reveals his alignment with proto-Enlightenment thinkers who emphasised the inherent qualities of individuals, 
Montaigne's notion that virtue and excellence are not products of culture, but are inherently within individuals, resonates with Rousseau's ideas. In reframing Rousseau's first discourse, we can find that rigid categories like enlightenment and counter-enlightenment fail to capture the nuances of his thought. He was a complex thinker who challenged dogmatism across different historical periods. In conclusion, understanding Rousseau's first discourse goes beyond simplistic categorizations. It's a journey through the intricate landscape of intellectual history, where the familiar is made unfamiliar. And we can engage with subversive thinkers like Rousseau in a more meaningful way. Thank you for joining us on this exploration of Rousseau's first discourse. Stay tuned for the next episode where we look at the second discourse, a discourse on inequality. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe, rate and share with your fellow history enthusiasts. Until next time, keep questioning, keep unravelling and keep seeking the truth that lies beyond the text. <laughs>